Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's your calling to become an authentic midwife? Do you dream of attending women in birth? Have you felt frustrated trying to be a birth worker in the system? Are you looking for a better way to walk with women in total integrity, supporting mother-led physiological birth? Are you dreaming of building a thriving, profitable business as a birth coach? Well, we are thrilled to announce that enrollment for our Radical Birth Keeper School is now open. Classes begin June 1st, so head over to our website and get the details. The time is now, and we need you to join us in this birth revolution. www.radicalbirthkeeperschool.com on the show, we have the lovely Lisa Masters, a radical birth keeper in Australia. As Lisa shares her journey from doula to coach, we get into the doula climate, money, integrity, and she describes the light bulb moment when she learned how to stop heroing women and show up for them in mutual responsibility. Okay. Welcome, Lisa. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm really excited too. So this is a part of our Radical Birth Keeper series where we are following women from different countries around the world who have all left uh, birth work in the system and are finding their way uh, in a deep, deeper form of being in alignment with their integrity. And so Lisa is in our community online in our Free Birth Society membership and has really caught my eye over the last year because, well, largely because I agree with everything that you say. And I was uh, really impressed with when we had our interview for the space to just really impressed and relieved to see how much you you get what we're talking about and and have carved out your own space for this work in your neck of the woods. So yeah, I'm happy to have you on today. Wow, thank you. That's really lovely to hear. So let's let's just start wherever you want to start your your story. Um, you know, I'd love to hear about what got you into birth work and obviously kind of the highlighted part of this episode is going to be at what point and why and how you pivot away from um, your average doula role into whatever you're going to tell us about that you're doing now. So tell us about the beginning. Oh, yes, it's been a meandering road. So I <laughs> I didn't start necessarily with birth work. When After my daughter was born, I 
was looking for community and I became involved in a local organisation that worked with birthing and birthing women and mothers and I became really interested at that time in postpartum support. I had felt very well supported postpartum through my community and with really, with wisdom that amplified my own sense of self around how to care for my baby and Mm. it felt really amazing to have that and I wanted to, as best I could with what knowledge I had at the time, try to emulate that. So that was my interest at the time. I had had a traumatic birth and was grappling with all of that. Mm. How long ago I, was that? My daughter's ah, about to turn 10. Okay. So <laughs> it feels almost unbelievable that it was that long ago. Um, so I, I didn't want to attend births. I was absolutely not ready. I knew within myself that I had a lot of anger and and trauma and sadness and it wasn't an appropriate thing. So I was definitely staying in that space that I felt good about, which was the mothering the mothering space and support. And so that's where I dived in and I stayed and worked within that or volunteered within that organisation for quite a few years and I started doing my postpartum work and I really loved that actually. And then I started getting contacted from women in the community to see if I would attend their births and work with them as a birth doula. And I kept saying no. And then wow, at the same... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just really felt it wasn't right for me to do that. I would get this sensation in the pit of my stomach that was just no. Mm -hmm. It was was a very clear message to me. However, at that time I was working through the experience of my birth and processing it with uh, a very clever reflective mentor around that uh she works in that space and as I did that I then had a woman approach me just as I kind of come out that other side and it was the first time I hadn't had that really strong no and I rang one of my really good friends the friend who had actually helped me um, and supported me in my early mothering days and I said to her someone's asked me to to work with them to attend their birth and I don't feel so bad about that anymore and why am I saying no again (laughs) she said I don't know just say yes so I was really ready to say yes and Mm. so I did and so it began and so I would say that for the most part I started doing very typical doula work um And I guess as I've moved on and grown my philosophy and thought about the interactions I've been having with women over the years, I I can see back then that it was about getting women the birth that they wanted and 
that meant, you know, lots of strategy around how you work the system and and so some of the births that came out of that time were I guess quite unusual for for hospital births in that someone went to you know stayed pregnant to 43 weeks and went in and birthed someone had a a VBAC after two cesareans you know with the minimum amount of intervention that hospitals, you know, usually don't give. Um, But also there were births that were really hard and that women weren't getting the births that they wanted to. And I was trying to search for answers around that. I wanted to know what could I have done? What could I have done different to get them the birth that they wanted? Maybe we should have done this and maybe we should have done that. And it was really weighing on me and I was really emotional about my responsibility around what I had and hadn't done. And I looked, you know, I looked for answers in a lot of places and I couldn't get them. And which obviously makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) But I wasn't necessarily ready to receive that information at that time. I wasn't ready to say sometimes you just can't get them when you're in a certain environment. It's not about having the best strategies. It's not having, being able to work it this way and work it that way. It, it isn't a system that can wait for women a lot of the time. And a lot of those births that worked out were because the woman's birth was... Uh, Lucky. Yeah, like, you know, a very straightforward relatively well-timed birth we you know right the right midwife and you know and I I am very grateful to those um to those midwives who were there for those women and helped them have you know births that they were very very happy with you know so I but it's nothing we can depend on it's nothing you can depend on and so that I sort of had this realization Someone, I had a conversation with someone, actually it was the same mentor who would help me through my own birth trauma. I had been at a retreat and she was there and we'd had this brief conversation and I was looking for answers and <laughs> she just said, I don't know, I can't even remember. She just said some words that this part of my brain opened up and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm also, I'm not responsible. Women are responsible. And I kind of gave myself this big talking off, like, we're talking to, I'm, who do I think I am that I'm responsible for women's births? Only they are responsible for their births and how they choose and what they choose and where they choose to go. And I am, I am a woman, I am, I should walk with her. And even though I had had that belief, maybe it was more on paper. So I, I just chose in that moment to step fully into I walk with women. They are responsible for their choices. And that is how it should be. So totally. And I'm so happy you're talking about this because this is such a massive part of our untangling, you know, that that we do in our school, because so much of, if not all of, the doula role and the midwife role and even the doctor role is really rooted in heroing 
you know, and <laughs> saving and taking more than their share of responsibility. Um, and there's a real, real cost and shadow side to that. But I'm wondering, because I know a lot of women get confused about this, how did you kind of untangle this element of, okay, you're not responsible for them and women should take responsibility for their own choices. But how do we navigate that intersection when we're actually talking about abusive systems and abusive providers? That's, you know, I think that gets really confusing for a lot of birth workers where it's like, okay, but we have information that they don't actually have, which I'll just go ahead and answer the question for myself, which is that is one way that I take responsibility is by candidly sharing this information that I know to be true um, and having my own boundaries around what I'm literally willing to get involved in or not, um, which I'm sure we're going to get deeper into about your story as well. So yeah, I'd love to hear you speak to that a little bit because, you know, I heard you say that you were going through these births and processing, um, you know, what could I have done? And that's such a normal thing for a doula to do after a hard birth um, or a midwife or a doctor. And yet, um, as you're pointing to, that kind of over analyzing and taking more responsibility than what is ours keeps this dynamic setup where we're seeing women as needing to be saved, which then keeps them out of um, being exalted into their own responsibility. Yeah, I don't have to say anything now. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I had this, I almost felt in immediate reflection. Well, I guess, you know, I love that this is the focus and the support you'll provide through the school because, gosh, I had to take a long time to figure it out. Oh, I. That's why we're doing yes, it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I. I felt very, very lonely, actually. I felt mm -hmm. like I was thinking about birth support and birth preparation, I guess, in, in a way that was so different to everybody that, oh, the, the cogs turned so slow and I was, and I felt a bit wrong because exactly as you say, was I suddenly throwing women to the wolves and saying, well, you're responsible for your own outcomes and if, if that's what you choose, then that's the problem. What I, what I tried to do and, and I think what I've been successfully able to do is have the candid conversations that you mentioned and talk to women with integrity about they're in charge of their choices. But what I discovered through all of that was even when you say, but let's look at the statistics and let's look at these stories and let's look at what women are saying about their birthplaces, women would still, oh, yes, but maybe I can do this and I can do this. And so what I started to recognise, and I think I started to hear the, the unspoken words in the conversations a lot more because I was no longer thinking, oh, how can I get this for them? So I became so open to mm -hmm. hearing the things they weren't saying or the way they were saying things. And it became really clear to me that women didn't have the the skills and experience to actually make those independent decisions for themselves 
because we've been so socialized to please people, be so worried about what people think about the things that we say and the way that we act, that I found that women were so held back by these parts of their personality that even with all of the knowledge that Right. It didn't trump it. Yeah, it didn't trump it. So I started working at that level and really asking mm. them. So when I would hear statements like this birth means everything to me or if I have another cesarean, it will break me. Mm-hmm. And then they would go on to tell me how they they had a uncomfortable an appointment with a obstetrician who hadn't listened to them and been kind to them and I mentioned that perhaps they could say they weren't meeting with that obstetrician again and hearing back oh but I don't want to hurt their feelings and I just really sat in silence with her and said you just told me this would break you, but you don't want to hurt someone's feelings who you will never, who will, who will never care about you. And we know it's more than just hurt their feelings. It's I want to avoid conflict at all costs. Sure. I want to avoid taking responsibility, you know, and, and that's where this, this conversation can get tricky because I think people who don't totally understand this level of communication that we're talking about can feel like this sounds like victim shaming. And it's absolutely not that whatsoever. It's actually the opposite of that. Um, it's, it's, it's actually trying to, I love, I love how you pointed out that when you stopped having an agenda, you were actually able to listen and you were actually able to speak from such a deep level of listening. And and that's exactly right, you know, because then you can slow down and really meet women where they are. But what I'm really hearing that you found the, the language and tools and integrity to do is actually reflect and challenge, you know, a lot of what, and connect the dots, you know, and, and for a lot of what your clients were saying, and I totally resonate with that. Um, because yeah, it is more than just people pleasing. And, and I, maybe it's all kind of wrapped up into that, but the not wanting to rock the boat, avoiding conflict at all cost, um, And then, you know, we're, we're talking about responsibility that women are socialized to take on more than their share. So at all costs, like my discomfort and my, um, the risk of my second C-section or even the risk of me being broken or the risk of me being humiliated um, is so deeply internalized as worth it to not rock the boat or make things complicated or switch OBs or have to have that talk with your husband. You know, I mean, it's just, it, like you said, it's so deeply ingrained in the female species worldwide that that's exactly right. That that is where we have to start in the conversation and reflect, you know, wow, I heard you just say this. And then I also heard you just say this. And this is where I think we're getting into some of the most magical conversations here of what women can do for each other, because deep listening without an agenda matched with the courage to speak in candor 
that is what lifts each other, you know, into taking responsibility for ourselves. Yeah, so much. And I agree, the magic happens. And it's interesting to me that it almost starts immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's as if we're smart people ready for this. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and often women will say, I guess it's just never been framed for them in that way. And so right. they hear it, they hear themselves, they hear the way they're devaluing themselves and they're just not having it anymore. And it doesn't mean they instantly become these, you know, ferocious, sure. <laughs> you know, powerful women. I mean, it's, hey, it, I'm always saying, and, you know, it's probably maybe it's off-putting too in the words that I use, but it's true. It takes a lot of work. But when women can see what will happen at the well, it never stops. It's not the end of the work. It's just the beginning of the work. But when they do the work to uncover these layers and reflect on their own actions and behaviours and the way they most especially interact with other people and the way they place themselves in a hierarchy with those other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's something to see. Yeah, it's a total reclamation of self. Mm-hmm. You know, and for most women, it's the first time. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and what I part of why I'm drawn to this work and this specific, you know, intersection or rite of passage of maiden into mother is there really is no time that I've observed where a woman is most ripe for transformation. You know, like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen around this time. And sadly, one of the biggest transformations, you know, that I do see is women are traumatized in their birth and then they learn never again. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's, that's a lot of what I do with, with my coaching of birth trauma debriefs is how to take what this taught us about who you are, how you are, the cost of not speaking up, you know, the, all of this stuff um, and how to make it be the last time you have to learn that lesson, you know, because we can and we do transmute our trauma into power. And I see women do it worldwide all the time. It's one of the most beautiful things. And obviously, another side to this is that I hope that the more we can support women to transmute you know, their, um, their energy into power without severe trauma, you know, and without being raped of their birth and, and having that story at their children's backs. Like, yes, that is one way to do it. And that is, that is what it is. It's totally valid. It's happening all the time. And all of us, I'm sure could agree. It would be preferable that women weren't having to first be traumatized to step into their power. Um, And so this rite of passage is so, it's just so rich because, I mean, it's been my line of work since I was a teenager. So this is just like what I know, but, you know, seeing women be like so fierce and protective for the first time in their life, you know, saying no to their abusive partner for the first time in their life, standing up to their super possessive mom, you know, for the first time in their life, setting boundaries 
for the first time in their life and watching that happen. And, you know, me and you and our, and these other amazing women around the world holding this, you know, fire, just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And just fanning the fire and holding it. You know, to me, that's a lot of what this radical birth keeping or authentic midwifery um, and sisterhood really is, is, you know, having, doing our own work so um, constantly and so, so transparently um, that we are really able to show up in this clean, you know, purified way that can exalt our sisters into power. Um, but, but that does kind of mean we have to be powerful first if we're going to be the lighthouses, mm-hmm. right? So that is this evolution of our own journey of birth work, our own journey in our communities, our own journey as women and mothers, and how do we transmute our own trauma into power and how do we um, get the courage to use what we've learned um, and really speak against, you know, against what everyone else is saying most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) And it's scary. It was scary for me. A lot of the, a lot of the things I'm talking about with the women I work with, I have been through it too. So I'm not, coming from a place of, I know how to do, I'm all of these things and you should be it too. I'm like, I've walked through it as well. I had to deeply take responsibility for the parts of my birth that harmed me and my daughter and work through Mm. that um, so that I could then do the work. But still I fell into the trap somewhat of, not doing, you know, doing the expected work, I guess, but I'm so glad that, yeah, I could see into this space of doing something differently. And I've, I've evolved probably slower than I would have liked through the work through, as I said, through feeling quite lonely in it. And, uh, in not quite knowing how to, I live in quite a small town. So this idea of how many women are there to work with? Do they want to work with me? It, I know for some, it's probably too, too much for them. They're not ready to do that work. And it can be really confronting to do the work. Obviously the women that came and did it, the, the transformations in them, not just for their birth, but for their lives, as you say, you know, going on to make choices that they would have never made before is extraordinary. Yes. And I, and I think that's what, that's a big takeaway from this conversation is there's so many birth workers out there who have it backwards, who are saying, oh, well, I'm doing this because there aren't women who want to birth in power. I'm just responding to what the community is doing. And that's totally wrong, in my opinion. I think that, you know, what, what, the way that, you know, the whole point of, you know, I use this, this analogy of a lighthouse all the time. What is a lighthouse? You know, a light that's bringing, you know, people home, right? And so this idea of you doing the work yourself first, coming up with, you know, what you're offering, what you're putting out there and what, what light you are radiating out so that the right women who are ready for that message and who are ready for that work, they know where to find you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's the way I really think we all need to think about it. I mean, obviously that's 
what I'm doing, right? With this podcast and with everything else. And that's what you're doing and the other birth keepers that we've interviewed for this series. And, and so many women I know just in our community alone. Um, and so I really hope that that's a, a, a big takeaway for everybody listening that you don't, don't reactively, you know, wait to decide what you're going to offer to your community. Like, yes, there's something to be said for, you know, what does your community need and evaluate that. And, and, you know, of course, listen to that. Um, but I think that the bigger theme here is you've got to get right with what you're offering first and get really clear on what that is and shine that out in such brightness and integrity that the women who are ready for that know where to find you. Mm -hmm. Mm. So tell us more about your story. So as you start to discover all of this and, and unpacking responsibility and where those lines are and feeling rather alone in that and feeling like it's taking kind of a long time, which I totally relate to what happens next. I started doing some personal development, um, well, some business development that, again, maybe not dissimilar to the work we do. It's for birth, but it's for life. It was like, come and do this. It's for your business. But really, I'm going to unveil a whole lot more to you about yourself and how you think. Mm -hmm. And that was really powerful. And I'm really grateful to that work because I wasn't expecting it. And what came out of it was also really powerful. And the more I learned about myself and the more I learned about why I act the way I act based on our upbringings or the people around us or society, the more I could see the release of those things. And so, yeah, I started to show up, as you say, I did the work for myself and I started to show up. People can come, women can come to me as they want or not. I'm not invested in forcing this work onto women. I want them to feel they deserve it and do that work. So help contextualize what it is that you're doing mm. and, and, and what that journey has mm -hmm. been. So do you still, what does your birth work look like mm -hmm. now versus what it used to? Yes. So I started to, so a, a pivotal point for me was a lot of my clients stopped for one reason or another, weren't actually getting around to calling me for their births or we would touch <laughs> for their home births. Um, I was still attending births in hospital. Um, so okay. just a lot of them across um, a whole range of birthplaces where we would touch face during labour and then, you know, next minute there were babies born and they were going into hospital feeling like they were able to communicate and make decisions from the work that we had done around that on their own. They didn't need me to come in and stand next to them and make, you know, say what they needed they knew how to do it because we had highlighted if they why were they going in the first place we you know I I speak with candor about as you say about what is what it can mean to birth in maternity industrialized maternity systems and they need to make ultimate decisions about what that means for them and so I had a range of women choosing different things. I, from the beginning of my work, I have attended unassisted births. Um, and up until now I'm attending unassisted births. So, but also then that just really highlighted to me that women 
where they were all powerful to make the decisions for themselves, whatever that looked like. That And that wasn't up to me to say that was the right or wrong for them. They got to step into that space for themselves. So I started to think, what if I offered this type of support and preparation that I'm doing with women in this work without birth attendance? What if that meant they looked at that program and were able to see that even more I trusted them to go into their births to do what they needed to do without me needing to be there for them. That was a next level of responsibility for them, I I think. But I was also really aware that who's going to choose this? There's such a... (laughs) I live in this small town. How am I going to make this work and, and earn a living and, and keep, you know, to do this work, I need to make a living. I, I, I'm valuable. So, you know, I want to be paid for my work and I want to be paid well for my work. I think it's really amazing. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> That's another whole conversation, Cute. right? <laughs> God. So, and you know, that's so common, right? I mean, you know, just to quickly segue into this, you know, it is astonishing to me that so many women pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to obstetricians. And then when they suddenly feel like I'm really nervous about my birth, I want someone to come and talk to, I'll get all these messages. And then when I say, sure, do you want to book this consult with me? I think people are outraged in some senses for some women. It's like, what do you mean? And it's like, and I'm like, hmm, I'm a single mother sitting here, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I've invested a lot of money in myself too to be able to offer these services. And it's so interesting how it's not valued by some people and obviously highly valued by other people. So, and that's okay because that, that's who I'm working with. So it's fine. Exactly. And it's all, I mean, but I think this does tie back to the whole theme of really moving out of this kind of hero persona, which comes with a sense of lack of boundaries, Mm. giving Mm. away your services, you know, sacrificing yourself, your time, not valuing yourself. I mean, they all, there's a lot of stuff in the hero position that really go together. Um, that, that, you know, I mean, I, I, I get contacted all the time for, you know, people thinking they're the exception mm. and why they should get this or that that I offer for free or discount or whatever. And, you know, it, I deal with it literally every day. And so it's been a really fascinating, yeah, just kind of like, I don't know, like intake curve to just watch that flow. And what I try to remind myself is that most women are treated like they should mm. give everything away for free. So if they're treating me like that, they're treated like that. And so they're, unconsciously perpetuating this super gross, you know, misogynistic, you know, uh, degrading concept, right. Of, of expectation of my time. And, um, at the same time that our time could be valuable in the sense that they want it, but not valuable to be in reciprocity. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I I really like to see it as a beautiful, beautiful vetting tool, right. I mean, because anyone who doesn't value me is going to ask it for free, right? Mm. 
one of the first things I did when I put some boundaries in was I, you know, it's very common for doulas to offer free first appointments. And Mm -hmm. I decided to stop that. If someone wanted a first appointment with me, they paid for it because I. And let's be real. Everybody, all doulas at interview, it's like a free two hour coaching session. And I started working out that what I was offering in that session was super valuable just from the, yeah. the philosophy that I have and, and helping women see things differently that, yeah, I just decided, well, I'm going to offer this for paid. And other doulas were, I, I would still do a phone call, you know, an initial phone call with, with women who are interested in working with me, but I won't get in my car and I won't drive to their house. And even now I'm, you know, I offer something as an initial contact, but I, but I have really strong boundaries around that. And I think it's important, but other doulas, birth workers were really shocked that I was doing that. So it's so interesting Mm -hmm. to see how, what comes up. I think, you know, when we are heartfelt, we're doing heartfelt work. There's with boundaries. Yeah. There's an expectation (laughs) that we don't have boundaries and that is wrong. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I have boundaries and I, and I need to walk that talk because the women that work with me, they need to have boundaries. So, Mm -hmm. well, that's exactly right. I've had so many women reach out to me for, you know, advice. And then I respond and say, I'd absolutely love to work with you. Um, You can do all of that. You can access me through a coaching session. Here's the link to schedule. And, uh, you know, lots of people book, lots of people don't. And every now and then I'll get a response. that's like, wow, at first I was really put off that I had to pay you to access your advice. And then I thought about it because they expected me to what? Sit there and write an hour and a half of an email of my brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, that's Mm -hmm. insane. Um, But anyway, they don't think that's insane, but I've had, I've had quite a few women respond and say, oh my gosh, in you setting that boundary and not doing it, I realized not only how much I asked that of other women, but how much people asked that of me. And it was like a light bulb thing, meaning take away exactly what you said, us setting our own boundaries with our clients and with everyone in our life shows other women that it is okay. And that we get to all be in reciprocity and that you get to set boundaries just like I get to set boundaries. And we all get to live in a world where we set our own boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Fucking light yeah, bulb. It's exciting. So, I, I want to... I want to shift the conversation a little bit into um, the climate of free birth in your state in Australia and just what you observe and what you see um, because you've been attending unassisted birth from the beginning while also totally having a foot in the system. I'm just so interested in, in your kind of take on the climate and, um, and particularly with you know anything you want to share of if you have noticed an increase of home birth with coronavirus now Ooh. being a part of our, of our, you know, fabric of society right now. And, um, what is, yeah, what's like the climate of free birth? Is it super vilified? Is, are there illegal midwives? Are there, you know, tell, tell, tell me about it. Oh, home birth in Australia. Uh, I started my work Right at a turning point in home birth in Australia, we had lots of legislation introduced that really changed the landscape for home birth with independent midwives. 
So I've always worked in a climate where it's been a lot trickier to have home births with midwives that are not somehow tied into the system in some ways. Even if they're independent, we have a... Uh, a set of uh, guidelines that they need to, which which is everywhere, to adhere to. However, it's really, really strongly overseen. And so the second a midwife steps out of line, it's really, really punitive. So even if... So then, wait, what does it mean to say independent? There's nothing independent about Sure, only in the sense that they don't work for hospitals I guess or uh but they're still totally registered and totally have a set of rules and regs to follow and are totally um monitored so do they chart yeah uh, yeah yes if they're registered like like they're medical midwives yes and and even those that are still in that space of working with women they feel it's really really hard not to be having to do all their bits and bobs to stay registered, not be, have the eye on them and, you know, quick, very quickly it, it turns that midwives uh, are suspended, that all of their clients on their books suddenly can't have them. So it's a really hard thing for midwives, like a line to walk, to to work um serve women serve the registration i wouldn't want to do it so it's it's really tricky so thus we have seen the rise in free birth for sure and i won't talk about my states very small so i i guess generally just across australia um in my state in particular we don't actually have any independent midwives in the sense of whether they're, you know, they are registered. So we don't actually even have them. So, um, yeah, so free birth has been rising over the years. Um, You know, there are cases of, in one state in Australia, they actually brought in legislation to be very particular about working as a midwife. So, Again, who says if you're working as a midwife? Can't you only work as a midwife if you're a midwife? However, would somebody say I have midwifery skills? I I don't. I don't have any midwifery skills. I don't know how to medically do anything with monitoring or... Which is not midwifery. Yeah, sure. But the way that midwifery (laughs) has been, I guess, um, co-opted as a a word, it, it is actually a... Uh, which I think is similar yeah. in other countries, that the word midwife has been taken to mean and have a certain definition and be about registrations. So it, it, it's, <laughs> it's bizarre then to say, was she acting as a midwife? So in, in one state, right. um, birth workers who would like to attend, who, who are not midwives, so un, you know, unregistered birth workers who would like to attend unassisted births with women as a with woman support, uh, they're very scared to do so. Uh, they feel very risky. And generally, they. my understanding is it isn't done there. Um, the rest of the states, 
are, it, I feel comfortable attending unassisted births. If something happened, if the worst happened, if a baby died, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what would happen to me. I have decided to accept that it could happen and a lot of bad things could happen to me in the sense, would I go to jail? I, I don't think there's legislation around that. Could I be sued? Yes. Could I have to go to court? Yes. And I, and I accept that. So. And there's, there's so many very reasonable ways and we do a very, very, very critical deep dive of this in the school. Mm -hmm. So please take it. Anyone Mm -hmm. who, who really wants to understand this. Um, But there are so many ways to protect yourself in how you attend and, but I think getting really clear and honest about, yes, the risks, but going past that, like you just did of like, okay, what are the actual risks and what are, what's actually going to happen and how is this actually going to be viewed in my state? And what is the actual legislation? Um, because you might find it's not actually as scary as it's painted in your doula training. Yeah. And I think it's part of, for for a long time, even though I did it, I was scared to do it. I was worried about what would be said about me and not even about a, mm. a poor outcome for, for a woman and a baby, but very much about what would people say about me. And again, I have to walk my talk. I have to decide that yeah. I just turn up for women and in the way women ask me and I trust women that I work with or I wouldn't be working with them. Exactly. So it, it just, in the end, it came round to me sitting with it, deciding and going for it and knowing I would turn up for women as they asked me to. And that felt really good. That felt really good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I so resonate with that. And, and I really noticed a big shift when I stopped attending births with medical providers and, 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 you know, really only started attending births with, without providers, who, who the people were and how it felt with them was really obvious when it was on. And when it was on, it was fully full body. Yes. Like I trust these people. These people trust me. We are all very clear on whose responsibility is whose. And it just, every birth I've ever attended without a medical provider has felt so clean and strong and in such a deep trust. And it's really about the evolution of me getting clear on where my responsibility lies and being able, like we said, to speak about that in candor and then creating um, a a reciprocity-based, trust-based relationship. And I mean, if you have that, that's about the strongest protection that there is. And, and I guess I'm just reminded of how many women I have supported in the system who I didn't have that with, you know, it really had, it really asked me to up level my integrity as I 
you know, and it's all inside out work, right? Like the more you up-level your integrity, you're assessing and evaluating everything in your life. So I don't know which came first really in this, it kind of happened together. Um, but, but that is a good point and a good thing to kind of point out here because it does feel, it does feel risky and scary in a way, but you, you want to make sure that that risk and fear is like accurately placed Mm -hmm. in the right places, you know, like going against the medical paradigm, standing up for women, like standing with women, like this shit's fucking risky. I'm not ever going to act like it's not, but the actual trust between you and a woman you walk with and serve, if you've got that. Emily, how can we trust women to birth if we don't trust our, you know, to do anything, if we don't trust our relationships with them, you know, it's, it's just, right. Yeah. I, I, I see so much fear from so many birth workers around uh, attending mm-hmm. births with women. And, and, you know, there's, there's even lots of discussion around if they look like they're going to birth at home. I, I have, I've attended births where women had no plans to stay home and birth unassisted. And yet <laughs> babies get born and I'm not going to, I'm not going to call an ambulance on that woman. She's got family if they're concerned. I mean, I like to think that the work we I do with women has them very trusting of their process to birth and and all of that side of things. So, but yeah, just this idea that we would go in and act like that was naughty. Oh, yeah. So it, uh, it all of this is complex. Like it takes constant sifting through, constant checking in. What am I really afraid of? Is that even real? Am I afraid of what other people are afraid of? And, you know, that constant sifting. Well, that's such a good point too, right? Because if you haven't done that work and you show up at a birth that maybe was intended for the hospital or the midwife was supposed to be there and they're not going to make it and the baby's coming, if your nervous system is already oriented to trusting birth, trusting women, knowing where your line of responsibility is, um, you know, seeing this as a normal you know, largely safe and self-protective event, you know, if you're already deeply oriented to that, how you show up in that space is such a beautiful contributing factor, right? But if you show up, like a lot of doulas show up where they're scared for themselves, they don't know what this means for them. Um, does this now mean that they have to be a midwife? Are they supposed to catch the baby? Are they supposed to assess the baby? You know, da 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 You know, just that, that layer of just quick sabotage is, is where we need to really take responsibility. And if you're a new birth worker, you know, really thinking this out and getting right with placing your risk and your fear and your willingness and your responsibility, like all in the right mm. compartments, you know? It's really important. And when we show up for women, we need to do our own work. Absolutely. And I don't care where anyone's birthing. I don't care if they've decided to leave their home to birth somewhere else. Our conversations absolutely center often around what happens if you decide to stay home? What happens if your baby comes out? Do you want to be frightened by that or do you want to rock it out? 
how is it for you as a birth worker who sees normal birth and undisturbed birth and then also is willing to go to the hospital? Tell me, tell me about that. So I wanted to stop offering birth attendance and just offer this really incredible work that was happening and that I could see happening with uh, women during their pregnancies. And I had a coaching call with someone and she said to me, well, why, why are you just offering this locally? Why then wouldn't you, can you do that online? And I said, oh, well, I've done some women online. Sure. A previous client had moved away. Someone contacted me from a town a few hours away. That's quite remote. And I had done this work online. So she said, well, you could just do it online to a wider audience, which initially freaked me out. I had all those imposter syndrome feelings of who would I think I am to be able to work in other people's spaces and that all lasted about. (laughs) Other people's spaces, like (laughs) people have more right to the internet than you. You know, like what if what if I had clients from Sydney and oh. all the Sydney doors got angry at me? You know, it was really, you know, it was really funny. It was so, you know, this is the thing. We can do the work and do the work and do the work. But so very often all of that stuff comes up that that we don't even we think we've worked through, but there it is. And so it was funny to see it come up. And I've one of the things I feel is really important for me to be able to live my life is having a really amazing circle and community of women around me who will uplift me, who will hold space for me, who will not buy into fear and will hold me to account with why would you have concerns about that? Like, this is great. Do it. You know? So for me, I was able to very quickly move into a excited space about offering what I do more widely because I do feel it's a bit different uh, from other birth workers. So uh, I started offering that out and I, I did this dual role for a while where I was offering out this remote work and I was also then still doing the work locally. So it's like prenatal uh, childbirth prep lo- virtually. Mm-hmm. Yes, but but more of this area that we were talking about before in in really digging deep into who we are as women, what how we act as our automatic actions, how we see ourselves, uh, how can we adjust this the position that we place ourselves in comparison to other people? So all of that, oh my gosh. I'm so excited that you're in Lighthouse Leaders with us because this is going to be such a fun layer, you know, of these tools and the framework mm-hmm, to add into <laughs> what you're doing. That's so cool. Okay, so you roll this out and you're doing dual, yeah, dualing, yeah, dual dualing. That was cool. <laughs> Don't even try. <laughs> and 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 what what I what I also started to notice was I really stopped wanting to be called a doula. I really didn't feel any affinity to that word anymore. And I, I, you know, I tried it on in different ways and I just decided I just didn't want to call myself that anymore. I really felt it was a much more mentoring role walking with women and uh, 
just seeing birth as an instigator to do this work was really exciting. Mm. What was really interest what was really interesting was that the women local to me who started working with me actually started to choose the no birth attendance. And I love that too. I didn't think that would happen. But, you know, you set the intention and people show up for it, right? So it was really exciting that then I was actually able to do the work I wanted to do even locally. Um, So I found myself in this position. So fortunately for me, the births that I was attending were unassisted births and some of the births that were maybe not occurring uh, autonomously at home were where women were just working with me through their pregnancies. And so I just had this beautiful space. And so this is actually quite recent where I just decided that's it, no more. And for a very long time, I don't know whether I was trying to convince myself or whether I believed it. I kept saying, I'm fine attending hospital births still. I have my boundaries and I do this really deep work with women. And I believe women are intuitive of themselves. They aren't got, it is okay with me that they don't want to choose free birth. I don't think everybody should if they don't want to. It's not up to me to convince them that that's the only way they should birth. If they're still deciding they want to birth in hospital, that is their decision. I trust them all the way. It doesn't mean that that stays what their belief will be for the future, but it just means that that's what they've decided is right for them right now. But I had this space where I didn't need to attend that. And that that actually felt so damn good in a way that maybe I'd never admitted to myself. And so I just kind of clicked my fingers and overnight just went, that's it, I'm 100% online. I am here for the work that I actually want to do. Mm. And oh my goodness, it feels good. (laughs) So do you still attend if it's home birth? I have taken down any offers of birth attendance from, from my website. And if women want to approach me about their births and talk to me about being present at their births, then we can talk to, we can talk about that on a, one-to-one basis and and see what comes Mm -hmm. up um so yeah I will still attend births if women would like that and if it's the right fit and I think that's really important for both of us so yeah this is this feels amazing when I talk about it I get butterflies because I'm so excited it feels so (laughs) aligned and I bang on about alignment all the time so it's about time that I step into that too and um it Hmm. it as I said the cogs have turned quite slowly for me and maybe that's okay as well I I think everything works how it should work to feel right about something and maybe it can turn faster for other people if they have that support that you're talking about because uh the the loneliness Uh maybe took me some time And and I am surrounded by some amazing women who attend births and so we have lots of discussions around it and yeah so here I am um 
And it's been a really interesting time that I kind of decided that just before this huge global change that we have seen around Corona. And that's very interesting to observe. So we talked about it earlier that whilst we've been talking about what's happening to women in industrialised birth spaces, you know, these huge amounts of birth trauma and PTSD and unnecessary interventions. And yet this is the, the pivotal point where women decide to evaluate where they're attending, well, where they're having their births. And so you are seeing that you're seeing women opt out of, of hospital birth because of this? In Australia, in, in the, in the kind of online groups. Yeah. We're seeing influxes of women, both in the home birth space, looking for home birth midwives and, uh, in free birth groups. Yeah. Definitely. It's really interesting to me because what's going on with women? Like what does, for some women, they can click their fingers and decide, great, I'm going to have this autonomous birth now and that will work out for them. But I do think for the majority of women, how can they go from a really, they were planning a birth in a space driven there mostly by either because everybody does it or, or deep-seated fear around their births. And a sense of control and knowing mm-hmm. what to expect and having other people tell you, mm-hmm. you know, what to do and you can just play your good mm-hmm. girl and, and get a baby. And, 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 you know, we know that the baby becomes prized in all of that and the woman becomes nothing. And so what, what will these if women do decide to birth unassisted, how is that going to play out for them? We know that. I doubt well, they will. They, I doubt they will because unexplored fears yeah. turn up in birth, right? Of course. And if, if not in yourself as the birthing woman, certainly in the people around you. So. I mean, it would have to be a level that it's not where hospital L&Ds are literally turning women away, which given that it's such an enormous part of a hospital's profit, I don't, at this Mm. time, I have no evidence Mm -hmm. to believe that that Mm -hmm. would happen. So I think you're right. I think there's different types of women. And for some women who were maybe borderline or were maybe thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, not, you know, kind of playing with it. I think, you know, this is increasing that idea as it should. Um, and then I, I'm sure it's unwavering for probably the vast majority of women. Mm. Um, right. Because this is, this is such an extreme, like the hospital would have to decide Mm. it for the vast majority of women, which we don't see any evidence to my knowledge at this point, that decision is going to be happening. Um, that would be interesting for the hospitals to actually say, no, no, no. Well, that's not what they're doing, right? What they're doing is saying, and (laughs) I almost find some amusement in it because I'm sure many hospitals have been you know, secretly wanting to find a way to exclude 
birth support for women for years. And so, you know. Right. They're like, doulas are out. out. So, you know. and Yeah. Oh, and and the midwives in all the countries, yeah, you know, like that. Denmark mm-hmm. and everybody is like, oh, yeah, nope, you can't birth at home anymore. Everyone mm. has to come in. So that's what I mean. There's not, there's not really, I don't actually see this going in the direction of like, women in droves choose unassisted birth. I don't think that's that likely. Cause I think if women were going to choose it, they, they would already be choosing it. And you know, I mean, there is absolutely media, uh, saying that exact line though, in here in Australia, women choosing free birth in, I know, in droves but- concerns, you know, it- concerns women are choosing free birth. <laughs> is that, I- is that actually happening? I think though? women are exploring it because they're scared. Again, women are always scared. They're scared of, they are actually choosing hospital birth, but always scared to choose hospital birth, which is why they hire doulas. Exactly. Um, which is a different conversation. Uh, you know, they're scared mm-hmm. that their doulas can't come now. Although, actually, I'm seeing that that's not true. You know, there is a lot of. It's true. Here. Yeah. Okay. There's guidance that it's true here, but I have heard many doulas saying this still absolutely going in and it's fine and no one's saying get out. Mm. So, yeah, it's an interesting space to watch, but everything is turning on a dime here very quickly. So I don't know that it won't be mm-hmm. enforced. We have a, I think our, our health system is is different to, to the US in the sense that we have hospital, uh, we have public hospital systems. Um, so we already right. had a lot of restrictions in private hospitals, which I've never attended births in the private system here. That has actually always been a boundary of mine. So they don't welcome extra birth support anyway. So it it may it may be that because of the public system where women potentially, you know, should have rights. <laughs> I, I can't even have this conversation. I, don't, I, I know, right? We I can't, can't even, even say yeah, it. I, I, it's like I just, just erase this conversation because there's no way to articulate. Of course, they, you know, they have rights, but they don't have rights. So. Um, right, exactly. So, yeah, I, I see an interest. I see the conversation. I see maybe an acceptance of unassisted birthing Mm-hmm. As, as a, a response. response. And I like that. I like that the conversation's mm-hmm. widening. Totally. I mean, I noticed it anyway. I noticed that in maybe the past year or two, not, not very long, but I started to notice the change. And, you know, I, I absolutely credit this to Free Birth Society and the work that you do. And the podcast that is so available to women, the conversation about free birth has changed. I think it went from, I can't get a midwife. I, I want a midwife, but I can't get one. So I'm going to free birth to women just choosing free birth as a very real choice on the spectrum of choices. And that that has been pretty radical and revolutionary in my opinion to see women just talking about it in a really ordinary yeah. way. Obviously that's not everybody, but in a, in a big space. I, I love that. I'm even seeing it like, I know I, me too. I'm even seeing it as 
like on doula websites and stuff where they just like add that that's one of the things they attend, you know, just in the last year or two, there's definitely a normalization Mm -hmm. happening in, in some communities of women Mm -hmm. around the world. Yeah. Babies, babies babies get get born. born. (laughs) And I think that this, this again is adding to the shift of it's a really, it, it's an option explore it and and that's where I've always been you might not shoot I love it too this the like idea of like that it's an option to (laughs) do nothing nothing. like it's an option to not leave it's an option to just be it's like oh what and we have to have this like label for it and a podcast Mm -hmm. about it and like all of this stuff to be like all we're literally saying is you can just live your life and just make your own decisions and just Mm. stay home and thank you for you know picking up that in that I just said said it like that because it is so easy to fall into that because as I said I have that conversation with the majority of my clients, it's like, well, you might choose totally. just to stay home and that will be great. If that's what feels right in the moment, that will be perfect. And babies just get born. And yeah, going back to that, you know, the work, I find where women want to free birth, it, it, some women will just turn up and they'll say to me, I'm planning a free birth. Will you come? And that's one thing that happens. But I have other women that I'm really interested in free birth, but I, but I feel really worried. I feel really frightened. I have lots of fear to work through. And that takes them a lot of conversations and a lot of considerations and a lot of exploration and a lot of education before they can step into that space. And when they do, it's amazing. But it has taken a huge shift for them to do that. So, yeah, women mostly through... They're, they're nearly at the point of birth and they suddenly decide that they're going to free birth. I, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't see, I don't see how that can happen. I mean, a lot of people bought our course. A lot of people bought your so course. Maybe. So that will be, you know what? And it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't want women ever to birth in fear one way or the other. I, and of course that in itself is a, such a hindrance to birth too. So I, I wish women didn't have to, they, they could make this choice because it feels normal and part of their everyday life. But, but isn't totally, but like, isn't even like the choice to leave your home largely rooted in mm-hmm. fear to begin with? Like, and, and we already know, right. How it disrupts mm. the hormonal blueprint and shifts, you know, the, the, the otherwise potentially naturally occurring hormones of the birth process. So yeah, it is interesting. But I think fear also, you know, what do we can do? Everyone's where they are. And if you're pregnant, your baby's coming, you know, you got to contend with it. And I'm not saying that's like a very casual thing. Mm-hmm. It's an enormous thing. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be, be interesting, interesting to, to see, see how this impacts thing. Yeah. And uh, well, buy our course if you're considering it. Enroll in our school if you want to learn how to be with other women. And Lisa, where can people find you? Women can find me on my Instagram and my Facebook, Earthside with Lisa Masters, that's L-E-I-S-A, or my website, earthsidebirthservices.com.au. Awesome. Thank you so much for today. It was uh, lovely to connect. You. I'm uh, proud of you. Too. Oh, Thank you so much. It's been a long road and I'm 
really happy. It's <laughs> awesome. All right, girlfriend, take care. Oh, thanks, Emily. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.